Hello, Nick. It's it's Chris calling. We, uh, we were messaging on Facebook. Yeah. How are you doing? Not too bad. So uh, you have some time to chat about hunting and uh, um, the Nunavut hunting stories of the day? Yeah. Uh, that was all based on boredom. I was trying to look for Inuit content on Facebook and ended up making that. Oh yeah, uh, when when did you when did you start the Facebook page? Two thousand twelve. And you're the moderator. Yeah, admin. Are you are you the only person? Yeah, actually, uh, I assigned my brother and brother-in-law and a bunch of international people people from Greenland, Denmark, Alaska. NWG, pretty much everywhere. What were you hoping that people would share? Well, anything to do with the camping, hunting, and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it ended up becoming so much more. And that was the cool part. And people who've never had Facebook or never even thought about getting Facebook ended up getting Facebook because they were so interested in Oh, cool. Yeah, so probably uh, Facebook uh, registration for Inuit increased by at least a thousandfold. Because when I created it on the first day, it went from zero to 900 within three minutes. Wow. And I woke up the next day with... 20,000, I think. So it grew very fast. Just by starting the page? Like you didn't share it with anyone particularly? or? Yeah, I started the page and then um, I added some of my friends and they liked it, so they added all their friends and their friends added all their friends and this is how it grew and yeah some people started sharing stories and people shared it on Facebook and they got so interested and it went viral like overnight that was crazy what what are your hopes for the page or what have or what have you learned uh, from running it and looking at it and I think my hope was to connect Inuit from all over the world, and it's achieved that. It's the most popular Facebook in the circumpolar world. Um, Most of the stories that go on newspapers and stuff end up in Nunavut hunting stories before anywhere else, because that's where most people are connected. People like to go where there's more people to share with. So, and there's been some amazing footage, amazing stuff in there. You just have to search through eighty thousand photos and I think five thousand videos and about uh, I think it was two hundred thousand posts, just text. So it's a big site. 
how long do you, uh, or what do you see in the future? Just keep growing and that people keep posting? And Well, for me, it's like a database that Facebook keeps going. Um, this will become a future project to digitize everything, collect it, and make it into an actual book or uh, interactive book or DVD or... I, I think it can become a whole lot more. Cool. Uh, have you started to look into that, or is that just the kind of the future plan? Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot more that can be achieved from the site. Uh, it's going to keep going. It's going to keep getting better. Uh, Greenland people are becoming more active to the other site. There's two sites. They're pretty much similar. One's more international and one's more based out of Canada. When I first created it, I got so much hate mail from animal rights organizations asking me to shut down the site. So I had to make that site private. And then I was getting so many complaints that nobody could find the site. So I had to create another site, which was closed, but at least it's not private. So that's why Inuit hunting stories of the day is there as well. Uh, not to focus on the negative too much, but have you had much difficulty with, uh, with detractors or people who don't like the site since that initial? Not really. I mean... Um, when you need to find them, they message me that it was taken from the site or some other stuff, and I just tell them to ignore it. And it's usually better to ignore than to try to fight. Right. Have you uh, have you posted a lot yourself on the sites, or do you just again administer and and enjoy every what everyone else posts? Yeah, I used to post, uh, but then I got too busy and stopped hunting. Uh, yeah, it's been a while since I've posted anything. I don't really go on Facebook too much. Uh, it's been too busy, but it moderates itself because it has lots of moderators, and I think there's two admins, so it doesn't really need me. I just administer the whole thing. But when there's real problems, I'll go online right away. So you, you mentioned you you stopped hunting. Um, did you go hunting and fishing and camping a lot before that? Oh, yeah, like uh, from the age of zero until I was maybe 13... I had no choice but to go hunting with the family. So that meant I had to go camping or fishing or wherever my dad was going. And you you currently live in Clyde River. Were you born there as well? No, I was born in the Keller. Ah, So is that where you do all 
a lot of your hunting and fishing out of? Yeah, it's a beautiful place. It's got a mix of uh, every landscape you can find in Nunavut. It's got the flats like Idrikwahal Beach, and it's got the mountains and the cliffs like Pang and rolling hills like everywhere else. It's it's a place of diverse landscapes. So it's uh, it's got a lot of animals too. So it's it's yeah, it's home. Great place to hunt. My family is, uh, you can say that they're more in touch with the land than most families. Um, they didn't really need uh, advanced tools. Uh, they were a very traditional uh, hunter-gatherer family from thousands of years, like, um uh, but when colonization began, they lost some of it, but they were rebellious, and some some of it was kept, but uh, all in all, my family loves hunting and camping. So, and I think it's a part of every person un, under the, over the age of 35 and over. That was the tradition. You 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 had no choice but to go camping every year, and that's what everybody did back then. Now it's un, uncommon. Did you have a? But a, people. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I keep interrupting you. Sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, did you have a a favorite uh, hunting? Activity or camping or fishing? Like, was there, or did you, did you just enjoy all of it? Um, I'd say my favorite uh, pastime growing up, like, like I said, I had no choice but go camping, hunting from zero to 14. And there was a place called Inukshuk Fjord. It's about uh, 120 kilometers south southeast maybe and southwest no southeast yet and it's a fjord with uh, uh, fish uh, whales caribou wolves and there's a nice river with a bit of rapids and we used to uh, Wait there, tied up with a rope, because it was kind of steep and dangerous. Uh, since family members have almost died in the rapids in that area, but we used kakivaks, and uh, when the fish started coming back up, that used to be the most awesome <laughs> fishing trip I've ever had. I I've never been able to replicate the type of feeling we used to have in that. And you can catch, uh, I think, three-footers to, like, really big fish. Uh, the biggest one we ever got was, uh, you know how pots are. Um, 
a normal size pot used to make spaghetti or whatever. And uh, we caught a fish that was so big, and we cut it in the center to make a, like cut it in cubes or whatever, and one center was enough to fill the whole pot. <laughs> one center cut. It was that big. It was, and it still has fish like that, so uh, you had to be tied up because they were so big, and they could drag you down with them. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, and you had to watch out for wolves all the time because they could be right beside you, and you'd think they're dogs or whatever, and you, re- you realize it's actually wolves. <laughs> And you can look down on the ground, there's berries and blueberries, and it's an awesome place. Sounds like it, wow. Have you been, have you been back there, in a, or have you been away there from there in a while then? It's been maybe 10 years, but mm. there was always a, a set of families that, went up every summer or every spring and it'd be the same set of people bringing their families and um, yeah I sort of grew up with those people growing up in that uh, fjord uh, you really didn't need to bring much because it was abundant with very beautiful fresh country food you can't get anywhere else and that brings fond memories. Do you have a, a favorite food that you like to eat? Mm. That may be an unfair question. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, for every nook, it's not about having your favorite food. It's... Uh, Let's say you're out hunting, and whatever comes up, uh, whatever's the freshest, whatever you catch at the moment, can be cooked in a certain way that makes it taste the best, no matter how which animal it is. I think it's how fresh something is. Like whenever you catch something, and you cook something right away, or you eat the blubber of a whale right away it's really fresh and there's it's not a delicacy for some people but for some people it's like there's nothing else so I think whatever you catch bring it out yeah there was a story that I was going to tell but I can't seem to recall what I was going to tell. Oh. <laughs> there was a story. Oh. oh, yeah, there was a story. One time uh, we were, uh, like I said, during my generation, we had to be out camping every summer growing up. And some summers we had special campings where it was two months long. You'd go in, in early spring when the snow is just sort of starting to really melt. 
just enough to put your tent in. You wait until the ice breaks up, then you go back home. It's a long camping trip. And um, we had a friend who was, uh, I won't name him, but uh, he had he had gotten into trouble and um, my uncle was paid to take care of him for the summer. So my uncle had beautiful, beautiful, beautiful browning rifles, like, uh, and these are very powerful uh, narwhal rifles or walrus or anything for big game, and these were very high-end, uh, nice polish and everything, and that friend of mine and I, we, we would often look at them and try to touch them, and my uncle would tell us that we're not allowed to touch them or see them, because, like, we were so obsessed with those guns, and he sort of knew that we were obsessed with them, and he told us not to touch them. I think my friend uh, sort of saw that as a challenge, and... <laughs> woke me up one night, like 3 o'clock in the morning, everybody's asleep, and he says, hey, look, we're going to go shooting. And I was like, whoa, fuck. My, oh, sorry for my swearing. And my father, I I remember my father giving me a whole bunch of crap for shooting a 22 during the day and thinking 3 o'clock in the morning, shooting off a rifle near, near the tip. Uh, and he said, no, we'll do it far, far away from here. And I said, okay. So we took all the most powerful rifles we could pick up and took a lot of bullets and <laughs> headed off. And we must have walked for like uh, three hours, uh, hopped on ice to get to this little island. Uh, three kilometers away. <laughs> and we even went to the other side of the island to make sure that if we do shoot off the rifle that there'll be no noise coming back to the tent to wake up my parents and my uncle. So uh, <clears throat> as soon as we got to uh, the area we were going to shoot, uh, the ice is almost breaking up, but uh, it's still not really broken up. But there's a big crack uh, right on the center. And I look down, and there's four to five hundred narwhals just <laughs> sitting there. And I go, like, I start sounding kind of crazy, and uh, I can't even explain what I'm seeing to my buddy and he goes, What what the heck's going on? And I point down doo, 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 like <laughs> and he sees it and he kinda goes crazy too. <laughs> so <laughs> we we start putting bullets into every gun we can find and <clears throat> we start shooting. We shot so many guns within four minutes after shooting off <clears throat> I think 
we realized that we must have woke somebody up and he said he doesn't care so we start shooting again and within five minutes after my whole family is running towards us to give us crap <laughs> for stealing the gun and then I point down to the crack and then they see that and we were never questioned about that wow. night. <laughs> wow. I think they spent an extra seven days on that island. That was an exciting day. I thought I was going to get my uh, behind kicked, but it ended up uh, being better for everybody. <clears throat> I think we caught an oil, but somebody else cleaned it. And it was all right. It was fun. <laughs> yeah, we. I didn't expect to see anything. Like, even my parents didn't expect to see narwhals uh, that early in the season. But the crack was at least 30, 40 feet wide. So there was access to come in. Yeah, there were so many tusks, it was crazy. <laughs> and here was a 8-year-old and an 11-year-old uh, shooting off uh, 308s and 300s. and These are all magnums. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> I can still uh, uh, imagine um, my ears were ringing for, I think, Five days after that. <laughs> but it was fun. That's the main part. Yeah. I thought I was going to be grounded for a long time for doing something like that. But my uncle uh, thanked us and told us that we can walk around and look for games for them to hunt. So <laughs> it worked out. So it's good to never give up. It's always, I think it's better to ask, but we lucked out. So were those the, the like that story you just said, which is amazing. Um, those are the type of stories you had in mind when you started the Facebook page or was the page even... Uh, I guess the easiest way to ask it, was there a kind of a political element to it, or? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, it's a, there's two sites, like I said. One side is all strictly hunting, and one side is everything. You know, hunting stories of the day is pretty much everything. Everybody posts whatever they, they find they want to post, but sometimes we'll start quickly deleting other stuff. For but yeah, there's awesome stories here and there, but you have to search. But I think the best year uh, with the stories was in 2014, the whole year. 
there were some awesome videos posted. Were you uh, were you also hoping to to connect people? Yes, uh, and it has. Uh, it's shown other regions, other Inuit, on how to catch animals that are in their region that they didn't know how to catch before. So in a way, this becomes uh, how to be Inuk 101 without any courses, but strictly the Inuit education system way is strictly observation. So it works out. Yeah, traditional Inuit uh, education system was all observation. They didn't tell you this has to be that precise. They just did it. You watch, you learn. So I think this site has taught more Inuit than they would have had if the site has never been created. I've learned a lot from the site. And uh, what's the what? How did you go about um, deciding whether you'd accept uh, non-Inuit into the group, or was that ever a concern? And it was just always open. There was like a, one of the objectives of the site was to make a site where you saw the uncensored version of the Inuit life because there was always perceptions and stereotypes and uh, myths and rumors about how Inuit life was. And this site showed the true identity with no censorship and uh, in its total raw form with no scripting, no editing. And it needed no explanation and it showed and for that Greenpeace was able to understand that we weren't there to kill everything uh, we'd been hunting and gathering in our land for 15,000 years and nothing has really gone extinct so in a better form, we are more of a, um, you can consider Inuit as natural conservatories or conservatives towards land or the original protection, protectionists towards the land. If you protect the land, it provides more animals for you. It, provides everything for you, so you have to protect it. And as you may know, Clyde River is very, very protective of the surrounding area. We hunt uh, even against billion-dollar corporations. We don't really care if they're big or not. We'll fight nail and teeth to win, to protect it. So it shows that we are not the the bad guys that Greenpeace first claimed to show us as people carrying clubs. 
uh, hitting seals in the head. We actually do that, but uh, after we catch it, um, we don't actually sell the seal skins that much anymore. We just take it, we skim it, we dry it, and we make comics and we make clothing. And we still use them. And <clears throat> those, they're still a big market for seal skins, so with any themselves for seal skins or someone can make two thousand bucks on a pair of seal skin comics, so nothing's gonna be stopping them anytime soon. It showed um all these animal rights organizations on who we really are, how we really live, how we really hunt and all the stereotypes Greenpeace and PETA and all these other organizations portrayed us before was shattered. So some of them had to make up. And one of them was Greenpeace. Was, there's a lot of Greenpeace uh, executives and actual employees on the site. And we accept them. We we want to show them that we are not trying to kill off every animal. Uh, and we are not like that. We take what we eat and what's left over is fed to the dogs. And we use the dogs to go hunting and camping and it's still a good lifestyle, I think. So I think people need to see that. So that's why we invite everybody. It shouldn't just be, you know. Is there any other particular story you'd, of the day you'd like to share? Yeah, I'd love to uh, find a person who has an interest in... Um, working on a big project with possibly no monetary benefit in the future, but uh, to make a maybe a book or something. Like, I wouldn't be able to pay the uh, contributors, but I'd ask them if they can be included in the book. And, but I think uh, there's enough material here to make a a big book with uh, very high quality photos that you can't get anywhere else in the world. It'd be one of a kind. Uh, and yeah, I'd love to find somebody who can help me set this up. Yeah, I think there's over 100,000 photos now. Um, uh, about uh, thousands and thousands of videos. Uh, if you, if there was a project to re retrieve all that, you'd need massive, massive uh, database system with massive storage 
capacity to be able to take in everything that is uh, this really big. I mean, like I said, this is one of the biggest circum. I mean, this is the biggest circumpolar page uh, in the world in the Arctic. So um, the footage in here is bar none. There's, it, like I said, it might become a database for the future generations someday. It's gonna show them what lifestyles they had before climate change affects everything. How, um, yeah, it's gonna be a database for the younger generation. Awesome. It's the only way they'll be, ex be experiencing hunting anything because that's the only thing they'll be looking at because there's going to be no animals for them to hunt for their generations in the next 30, 50, 60 years. So, yeah, that's a nice database for the younger generations. But it's not nice, but at least we have something for them. I created a thing called the Clyde River Climate Change Adaptation Plan. Okay, another. Um, that's another Facebook page. No, 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 no. Oh, this so, is a project with the the federal government. Oh, okay, sorry. The Hamlet and a organization I co-created called Ita Heritage and Research Center. And uh, I think we were one of the first in the world to have a climate change adaptation plan and it got adopted in many many countries uh, as a simple way to mitigate uh, climate change or yeah a very simple way but it was done during uh, conservative rule so they were too stingy to provide funds, so we had to find, <laughs> improvise on how to <laughs> mitigate. So it wasn't good when Stephen, Har Stephen Harper was here. He didn't provide any anything for us. It was all BS. Anyways, yeah. So are you still looking for funds, or was that a that project ran its course because it couldn't get the money no it wasn't about money it like uh, <clears throat> we wanted the government to acknowledge that uh, how they were trying to push us um, how they were trying to steer us towards uh, only extraction resource type industries and um destruction type industries like mining and so that was his main objective was to uh, open up mines and open up oil rigs and do seismic testing and we were trying to say the opposite on but nobody listened to us so And they were only penny pitching us, so 
it was useless. We actually did. Well, yeah, we actually did five five years of comprehensive, advanced national research. Um, we did coastal and uh, permafrost degradation research, uh, satellite mapping, uh, sonar, uh, bug research, lake research, uh, vegetation uh, research. Uh, animal research. We we even interviewed elders and did a whole did a lot of other stuff and GPS research. Um, integrated with the mapping research to see how much of the land was deforming due to climate change, permafrost degradation. But uh, that's too much technical explanations, but it was, we had to back up our climate change adaptation plan, and even though we backed up, backed it up with pure facts and research, uh, the feds wanted to focus on other stuff, so it never got anywhere. Is that research available online anywhere, or? Yeah, it's scattered in pieces all over the place. Uh, there's uh, earthquakes and seismic activity research that we did, uh, and we figured out that Clyde River gets 200 earthquakes a year minor ones, but we get 200 to 300 earthquakes a year. Uh, the biggest one we've ever had was 7.4, I think, on the Richter scale. It was so bad that some in it were vibrating off and bouncing off the ground because um, it was so bad. Uh, there's a different... Uh, Two different kinds of earthquakes. Uh, earthquakes where the sand—I mean, the ground is loose. There's sand, rocks, and everything moves dif differently. And then there's earthquakes in the Arctic where a whole swath of land is frozen solid. So when the earthquake happens, that whole swath of land shakes right at the same time together. So when the earthquake happened, people started bouncing off the ground. Uh, or if the large swath of land is large enough, it just dissipates the earthquake and nobody ever feels it, which is the case for Clyde River. We don't really feel it, but when you're lying down on the couch during the day and your house starts shaking for a little tiny bit, you realize sometimes that's an earthquake. You have to check online to see if there was a minor one. We've had a few tsunami scares. The scariest one was, I think, 2006, where we got warning from the Norwegian police. 
Danish police telling us that there might be a, a tsunami headed our way. So every pa everybody panicked here. And that sort of cost us to, I mean, yeah, that cost us to look at everything. And one of them was climate change adaptation, tsunamis, uh, erosion, degradation, misery, that sort of stuff to be expected in the future. And, yeah. One of the predictions I made on that climate change adaptation planning was that we live in fjords with cliffs, and uh, I said that there'd be uh, big tsunamis from cliff falls, or I didn't expect the whole mountain to fall down to the ocean and create a what you call a what well, it's now classified as a super. Tsunami or mega tsunami? You ever hear about that? No, no, I haven't. It, that was the tsunami that washed away those houses in Umanma. And uh, that was one of my predictions. And if it's happening in Greenland, it's going to be happening here soon, too. And Clyde River's in one of those. Exact similar uh, region, like it's the same landmass that separated when North America was starting to separate. So, Umanot and Clyde River are right across from each other, and uh, we have the same exact landscape. So, uh, what I predicted happened there instead. I'm kind of freaked out that maybe it's going to happen here. Yeah, I was. I told Peter Mansbridge that I was worried that a whole hill come, can come crashing down and bury a whole set of people, and they laughed it off. But uh, instead, that happened in Greenland, and people's houses were washed away with people inside, and I think four people died. That was last summer. So, uh, the Arctic is going to start seeing some crazy stuff. Uh, um, I also used to work with the United Nations Environmental Program called uh, Many Strong Voices, it was a group of world leaders from many small countries, Caribbean states, low-lying states, islands, and uh, we did research and meetings and used UN resources to do all sorts of research and blah, blah, blah. Um, Again, we even went to UN to try fighting for stuff, but nobody wants to actually put the bill on until they have a disaster, so it's useless too. But it was used it used to be fun traveling to uh, United Nations 
building with Japanese or African states and uh, they would sponsor our events and that was fun so it worked out good uh, were you were you involved in the in the seismic testing um, that uh, I think it was yeah, in the last the year like that prevented the offshore drilling or what it was I, I sorry I can't remember yeah exactly. I created the Facebook page okay <clears throat> and then um, uh, one of the things I can do is uh, I can influence a whole population of Arctic I mean I can influence people in the Arctic pretty much with all these big sites uh, I think I have a total of hundred uh, eleven thousand members to my Facebook group now. Wow. Yeah, hundred fourteen thousand uh, members, and that's from uh, Greenland, Nunavik, Nunatsiav, Alaska, Russia, USA, and so on, and. Um, one of one of the better things I'm good at is to influence and push people a certain direction to make them see that there's no actual benefit for any if we drill. We get the cons, they get the pros, like um, be the moderator or I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. The site is not just for hunting; it's a site for everything. It's political. So let's say, yeah, that site can. Yeah, it's a weird site. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> it has political clout too. It has political strength, so if if you piss off a set of people, they can make a lot of noise, including myself, and then people get elected or lose. But basically, anybody pro hunting is good. <laughs> yeah, it's a simple thing. <laughs> so that means uh, anybody who's up for drilling or destroying something where people hunt, then that's against hunting. So there's. Uh, an easy form to piss people off for a good cost. So that's one plus one equals eight equals to get the wheels rolling, and then uh, 200 people can take on a billion dollar, a ten billion dollar corporation, beat them to bits, and make them spend billions for nothing. They'll spend on the whole thing. And, 
try again and we'll do the exact same thing and hopefully win again. Well, that seems like a good positive uh, note to wrap up our conversation. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, thank you very much for taking my call. Yeah, anytime, man.